Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I'm Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. We are sharing today's episode with you with both sadness and gratitude. Sadness because Jim Sherbarth, the artist we are speaking with here, passed away on June 22nd of this year. He was a dear friend and colleague of Rebecca's, and someone I had the pleasure of meeting for this interview at the end of his life. We are both extremely grateful that Jim wanted to record this interview about his life and work. It was a very emotional experience to speak with him in his last days and to know that his words would be captured in this way for the future. We know that many of our listeners knew Jim or knew of him, and for you, this will be especially meaningful. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Uh, hello, everyone. I I first met Jim when he came to one of my workshops in the early days when I was teaching, and we pretty quickly went from that teacher-student relationship to being friends and and colleagues. And as a friend, um, and he, he had many, many friends because he was that kind of person, I just loved his kindness, his honesty, his sense of humor and intelligence, and and all of that comes through in this interview. And he and I especially connected over our shared love of Ireland. Um, he began coming to Bowen Glen Arts Foundation to my workshops there, and after a few years, he began teaching there himself. Um, and he was awarded a six-week fellowship um, that unfortunately due to the pandemic and also to his cancer diagnosis, um, he was unable to, to attend that fellowship. Uh, but he did go there many times, and he connected so much with the landscape of that part of Ireland and the culture, and he had Irish heritage himself. And all of that um, aspects of the land and the culture influenced a lot of his work. Um, as an artist, I can say, um, uh, for Jim, I've rarely known anyone to progress so fast from those first stages when I knew him in those introductory workshops to the levels of achievement that he reached with his work, um, teaching internationally and having a number of successful exhibits. He was represented for several years by an excellent gallery in Minneapolis, and he just had, uh, he achieved a lot in only about um, eight or nine years uh, until his passing. So um, just a little bit about the interview that we did with him. Um, I had gone to see Jim at the condo where he was uh, receiving hospice care, his home full of artwork. Um, uh, as soon as I got back to the Midwest in June, um, I was going back from New Mexico to start this moving process that we talked about in last week's episode. But I wanted to, to get up to see him right away. And on that visit, he was, you know, he was very frail and thin, but he was very gym, very full of energy for talking, and he showed me all the art in his home. And at some point, um, I said to him that I was sorry I hadn't brought any recording equipment because interviewing Jim had been on our list of, pot, of potential episodes for this podcast for a long time. And it just, you know, it's just one of those sad things that you always think there's more time for your plans and what you want to do. And, and clearly there was not at this point. Um, and his sister, Pat, was there and she said, well, why not use your iPhone uh, to, to do an interview? So that's what we did. We made a short recording 
and Jim seemed really pleased about that. And so then, you know, that visit ended. We said a very difficult goodbye, and I went home. And then, Ross, you had the idea that we could go back again with proper equipment and do a real interview. Yeah, I, I was very regretful that I hadn't gone on that trip. Yeah, and that we hadn't been prepared and all that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you said, well, let's let's see if he wants to do a real interview. So I, I messaged Jim about that idea, and he was he was all for it. He was very excited, and we knew we had to do this right away. So we went back just a few days later, and on that visit, I did notice that Jim was visibly weaker. But you know, he definitely wanted to go ahead. He was he's very. Very felt this was very important. So um, you'll hear in the interview that his voice is weak, um, but his determination to say what he wanted to say comes through. And um, sadly, you know, it was only five days later that he died. And in the interval, um, he told a mutual friend of ours who shared it with me how incredibly meaningful it was to him to be able to make this recording that he could share um, these thoughts and ideas um, at the end of his life. And um, I'll also say that we're going to post some images of the work that he refers to in the interview on our Facebook page so that um, you get, if you don't know his work, you'll get a, a broader understanding. Um, and there, there is also a, a video component to this uh, interview that uh, I'm, I'm still working on. Um, I had really wanted to get something together uh, in time for Jim before he passed uh, that he could see. And uh, I wasn't able to do that. And that's something that I, that I deeply regret. Um, I had, I had just finished um, the first cut uh, the day that he passed away. Um, right. But that, that video uh, we, we didn't want to release it right away um, at that point, but that is something that we will be re- releasing in the future. Yeah, we we wanted to wait until, you know, things kind of settled down. And his memorial service was last weekend. So it seems the right time now to do this uh, audio part. And then the video will will follow because he did. He was entirely on board uh, with it being a video as well. So um, let's listen to the interview now. Um and Jim begins with a bit about his background in art and how his work and career took off in the past eight years, and also his focus on pushing his development and his search for meaningful expression. So why don't you tell us a bit about um, the different kinds of ways that you've worked since you really got seriously into your work, or maybe a little bit about what led up to that. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you both, Rebecca and Ross, for this privilege and uh, about the work. I've known since I was 12 years old, this is what I wanted to do. But life throws us curves, and it took me almost 50 years. But I've always done something along the way, always different things, always experimenting. I had some early success with more craft items, 
great, encouraging. I, you know, but I knew I wanted more. That that didn't make me necessarily an artist. And I really wanted to paint. I struggled for finding a medium and something that spoke to me. Work. Well, in the beginning, I was all over and a lot of obvious landscapes, which I kept trying to, and succeeded a number of times to make still a landscape, but, you know, more abstract and, and maybe a little more complex to take in. Good thing. And then I actually put some work out in public. First night, somebody sold a not inexpensive painting. And Paul and I looked at each other and said, we can do this. So it took off. So I kept painting, trying to improve it. People liked, some people liked a lot of it, so they started buying. Wonderful. But always, I stayed focused on the work. The sales were great. We need supplies. But it wasn't my goal. Museums, exhibitions, awards, everybody wants something like that, but again, not my goal. And figured that was a long shot anyways. And yet, not only did all that come, in three nice publications, your book being the best, and then my article in Caustic Arts Museum, uh, magazine. I like it got good response. Anyway, all that came. Huge blessings. I actually still can't believe it because it all happened from 2012 to 2020. There was so much in just a few years. Yeah, overwhelming. Yeah. So I was immensely grateful. In this next part of the interview, Jim talks about his teaching platform and his approach of encouraging his students to work with three core ideas, purpose, passion, and practice. Passion. Yes, passion and purpose. Well, yeah, the purpose is, I now knew what I wanted to do, and I was able to bring a good, strong level of passion to it, which just makes the work richer. Yes. You, you won't get, well, you can if you're very technically skilled, get by on just a basic process very often. 
there are some that do well that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying this is my approach and what I suggest trying if you are so inclined and are willing to take the time. What would you say to somebody who said, I don't really feel the passion. I, I want it. I would like to have it. But I just feel like it's something I don't really have. Well, because we do hear this from people. Oh, all the time. And in reality, they have it. They haven't identified it yet. Back to purpose. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing what you really want to be doing? Kind of focus in on that. Mm -hmm. Then you can move into purpose where you figure that out and then you actually figure out not what your images are, but what you want in the work. Yeah. That could sap your passion, wouldn't it, if you weren't doing what you want to do? And the funny thing is, many, many successful artists will tell you this. Don't worry about the sales and all that stuff. Focus on your work, perfect it as best you can. And the purpose, the voice starts to emerge if you stick at it. You can always branch out and change. But that will help you hopefully get started. And do the work. Master what you do. Identify then in that process your intentions. It all starts to come together, hopefully, and then you bring in whatever emotional or psychological or spiritual memories and work from that, which isn't easy. It takes a lot of practice and concentration and figuring out what's important to you. Yes. Yes. And then focus on that. And don't if you, you if oh, you want to paint trees, then why are you painting buildings? Mm-hmm. You know. If you like texture and rocks or walls or trees or whatever, and you're painting flat geometric things, I don't understand. I tell everybody. They don't like what they've done, and they've got about a millimeter of paint on there, and it really doesn't make any sense. So we start there. Okay, lovely. Um, Pattern, texture, and, and palette. But I think we could do more with it. So many people give up there. It's sad. And all of my work is, it's gotten denser, deeper, um, thicker layers, tons of layers on any given painting. It's gotten thicker and denser and more textured all along. And that texture, a lot of it is physical. That's what you're going after. But a lot of 
The architecture is just a visual impression from what you've done and the layers you've built up, the colors, all that. I don't like to very often use a color straight out of the tube. I usually have to mix it with something else or muddy it up a bit. One of the key elements is something I got from you two. You said it in a workshop and it had an impact on me. And it was something you got from your professor in school back in the 70s, Andrew Schaefer. Yes. He simply said, an important thing to consider and to work towards is that the more personal your artwork is, not surprisingly, the more universal it becomes, because we're all connected. Yeah, that, that was one of the most important things I learned when I was, you know, developing my own work, and it always had an impact on me, and it's it's lovely to hear that it had an impact on you as well, yes. because oh, that it's was, very wise. That was a very true gift. We were talking a little bit earlier about how it, it is, you have to be kind of brave, you have to be vulnerable, you have to be open, um, and just say, this is who I am, this is what I do, and well, not not be too constrained by what you think is expected. Absolutely. Try as best you can to ignore everything else. Just focus on the work. When you get there, the other things will start to happen. Competitions, maybe a few awards. Recognition, which we all like to have. I find by looking back over my work, even in the very beginning, you can see elements that have been attracting me all along. And by now, all of these were coalescing and providing me a useful tool, mm -hmm. which I exploited, basically, as best I could. And I keep trying to keep them fresh and up, up the game, yeah. There's been traces of just about all of this right from the beginning. But it took years to hone in and build that list of intentions and focus and passion. Yeah. And I was able to pull it off one more time. So they tell me, which I'm grateful for that too. That would be my heartfelt uh, suggestion. It's really the essence of my course for everyone to take from what they can. If it doesn't work for you, then keep looking. I think it's a good plan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it works mighty well for me. Yes, I, and that, and I think it makes it makes you a very good teacher because you've been through this and you went through this process yourself in a relatively short period of, of, of great focus. I mean, I know that you always did things earlier in your life, but this period of about eight years, nine years of diving deeply into your work and exploring different ideas 
and as you say, perfecting what you do, your painting, your drawing, um, to bring out that expression. Um, you know, you have you have walked the walk as well as talked the talk. <laughs> it's a, I try it, to. There's there's so much to see in your surroundings here of that journey and your early work, your later work, your work very recently. So, yeah. yeah. In the next section, Jim tells us about his time in Ireland uh, at the Ballinglen Arts Foundation. And then that one day in early 2010, I saw your work online. You very conveniently had an exhibit downtown here, so a friend and I ran right down. I spent an hour like this. <laughs> And I looked at my friend, I said, I think I found it. So I must find her and learn, which we did. Yes. And it was pivotal for me personally, very much so. It was the right nudge I needed at the right time. So I began to learn your technique and then practice it for a number of years before I felt I was getting somewhere. 2013 was the first time we spent together in Ireland. Oh, yeah. And I've been there a total of nine times now. Several of those with you. Yes. I studied a little printmaking from Jeff Hurst. Yes. And we should say this is at um, Ballon Glen Arts Foundation. Yes. Over in, in County Ireland. Mayo, uh, which is a, in County Mayo, which is a wonderful, wonderful um, artist foundation with workshops and it so on. It is. And the, uh, that part of Ireland is still remote and quiet and absolutely stunning landscape, which inspired me a lot, the coast, the rocks, the water. And then I learned about their local standing stones. Always been interested in stones, trees, nature in general. That's where most of my inspiration comes from. Well, here are these wonderful standing stones and that cryptic Ogham alphabet. It all played into my hand and I said, because the elements of that had already been in earlier work, but now it started to come together and make sense. And that turned into my largest series and my most successful series. Um, I don't know which year it was, but I remember going with a group of students to that stone, and we the breathstick. So breathstick. I never knew the name of it, but it's just in a farm field, and yeah, we had parked by the road, and we all started walking across the field. And you were kind of out in front, and it was your stone, you know. And we took a picture of you just coming up to the stone because it w you already knew then that it was impactful. I think you'd seen it before. 
but to to watch you come up to that stone and know how important it was to you that was a moment it was beautiful thank you i that was a big moment for me too it literally solidified everything yeah and did it actually able to touch it and yes. try to soak the essence of that stone and the texture and you know one of my favorite guides both spiritually and artistically is the very significant and late sadly died away too young John O'Donohue and he talks about the landscape being here before us. It just witnessed us. It will be here after we go. And the stones are the tabernacle of memory. Mm. Powerful. Yeah, that's beautiful, yeah. And there's something to me about working from memory as well, where memory distills what's important emotionally and visually. And that's also feels like a quality of those paintings that um, they have that distilled kind of memory embedded really in them. Thank you. I uh, strongly believe you ignore photos. I mean, you take them, you look at them, you digest them, and you set them aside and go back to the memory side. Yeah. It opens you up, you're free to make the less obvious choice, and hopefully, often, the more interesting choice. Yeah. I have tens of thousands of photographs of rocks. Every once in a while I look at them, then aside they go, and I go back into my Ogham stuff, where now the new Karak and Stone thing. So, and you feel you feel in that part of Ireland the how ancient it is and how long people have lived there and yeah, interacted absolutely. with the landscape. And I think that you know you um, you bring that to your work, both in the more landscape work and with the series from the stones. Thank you. Um, they just, they feel ancient, but, you know, eternal, have that beautiful atmosphere. Thank you very much. That's a lovely... <laughs> I, you know, I love that work. I, thank you. Yeah. And, it, and I know why people respond to it, because you have brought that, you know, that essence to it. It's just gorgeous. Next, we're going to hear Jim talk about dealing with the tragedy of his husband Paul's death and his own cancer diagnosis. After that, Paul died, April of 2018. It tore me to the ground. I wasn't sure I could get back into the studio. Shortly after his service, I came home and still on the dining room table, all the cards and memorials that had to be sent in and the colors of the envelopes always attract me, so they're just sitting there in a pile. I came home and I sat down, picked one up and started to tear it up. 
So I, I'd pair up different colors that I wanted and then create a composition. I think I got some really strong and impactful images. They're simply called the envelope collages one through, well, I think there were 12 or 15, but the final cut was nine, which were framed, ready for my solo show a year ago, which can, uh, COVID canceled. So. so then I knew, go back to the studio. I thrashed around for a while. I thought, this isn't working, think. Where Where's your head and heart right now? I said, it's in grief. So I commanded myself to work with that, to find a way to express it. So it would be very simple, probably pretty abstract, um, but all based on Paul's favorite color, red. After that, I got four major pieces, which represents that period the Red Grief or Paul series referred to as all. And then it was time to move on. So the work started to get lighter and more hopeful. Well, before the cancer, I finally realized I was healed enough where I could attempt to have a new chapter in life, do what I wanted to do with Paul in Arizona. June of 2020, I had almost a done deal in that new home, great studio potentials and all that. And I was going to bring the whole operation there. To Arizona. And uh, offer my courses during the winter, another drawing point, and uh, proceed. Three weeks later, I got the diagnosis. So I immediately canceled that, to be here with my family. Yes. And then last year, of course, we all had to deal with COVID. Yes. So I was housebound for months. So here I am at home. I'm now limited. I can't paint anymore or do any printmaking. Too messy in the home. So I said, what now what? Well, you see that piece of paper? You see that pencil? Start over. Yeah. And so I found a way, and I think it's my purest form, really, of bringing a couple elements together that would speak for me, and we would work in pencil, Watercolor pencil, ink, tea bags. Tea bags, I love the tea bags. <laughs> and it was just what you had at your table. Right. And they're, they are really beautiful in their minimalism and their symbolism. And what you could do with just a few symbols in this series of 72 um, of the stone and the Kurok uh, series I mean, I, they're just astonishing, the language that you develop between those just two objects. 
and how you dealt with them. Focus, focus, focus. Focus, focus, yeah. Hence the clashes and drawings, basically the Karak and Stone series. That started almost immediately because several key elements of my intentions and my way of working uh, all coalesced. And it made sense. And it was instantly well received. So the and the, the Kurak, the boat, is a symbol for you as is the stone, and then they just interact in different ways in all these pieces. Actually the Kurak is, you know, a vessel, a container, a transporter. Metaphors in many ways. And it's all in this case the correct is me as well. The stones are many different things. So I did 72 for the first issue to mark my 72 years here so far. What I like about it, amongst several things, is probably some of my most minimalist work. It appears representational but all the understories and everything and the severity of the environment, they work for me as a minimalist, somewhat abstracted. And certainly the, uh, the titles, the interpretation of the paintings become very conceptual. And it just flowed. Yeah. It worked. The last thing I did was, I said, okay, you can do more, you want to do more, but it needs to be, you need to shift gears a little and change direction. So the first thing I did was, um, I decided to, to do a couple larger ones, full-scale sheet of Arches oil paper, and the symbols are larger. Anyways, I decided to start to scale up. I got one done very successfully with great approval and acceptance. But by then, you know, that's all wonderful to receive. But again, it's about the work, not that. And then I got a second one done. The first one, the Kurok and the Stone, both bear Celtic markings. And it looks like they're nodding, kind of a greeting. I thought, perfect. This is... We meet again, Paul and I. The second one is a, the correct me floating over a cluster of stones. And those stones now represent all of you that I care about and respect and love. And you return it and uh, you get the work. And you, everything. Everyone along the way has contributed. It's just helped me propel, propel forward and continue to up the game. So the last one, looking down at all of you, I'm going to float in above, is simply called farewell. As the last two pieces I've been able to do, I no longer have 
enough strength, attention, focus, or hand control. So I said, okay, this is it. Yeah, that's really moving. So, and they will be viewed publicly soon. And I will have those two pieces for my service on either side of the altar. And, and this, this space is very warm and has a spiritual essence and beautiful warm woods and black trim and stuff and cut it into the ceiling and the walls coming down in front are a cutout basically of the tree of life which also lends itself and then that that fellowship hall we're using is only two years old it's beautiful and all around it outside are halls and halls of new spaces, rooms, libraries, little chapels, and there's art everywhere. They even maintain a gallery to do small exhibitions. It sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. This last section I have entitled Gratitude. Well, um, I think we just want to thank you so much for sitting with us and talking today. It's been powerful. Thank you very much. It's been an extreme pleasure, a privilege. And I feel an honor. So thank you both. And very soon, we will be announcing the cherry on the cake for everyone. And I, I hope everyone will be very excited. So, showtime. Showtime. So the cherry on the cake that Jim mentioned was the creation of Jim's foundation, which is titled the James Edward Sherbarth and Paul Francis Mosley Foundation. Uh, which he used to contribute the bulk of his estate to Bowen Glen Arts Center. If you would like to contribute as well, the foundation is not set up for donations, but you can contribute directly to Bowen Glen Arts Foundation in Jim's name. This was something that was extremely important to Jim, and it would be very meaningful for our listeners to contribute as well. To wrap up this episode, we want to thank Jim's family, and especially his sister Pat, very much for supporting our efforts to produce this interview for our listeners. To hear and record Jim's thoughts in his final days as he looked back over his life as an artist was a huge honor and a very moving experience and one that seems important to share. Sadly, Jim died shortly after our visit with him, and we know that this interview meant a great deal to him, as we hope it does to you also. Rather than doing our normal outro and music at this point, I'm just going to leave a minute of silence at the end of the recording which I hope you will take to join me and the other listeners in remembering Jim and his life.